Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech, an irregular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza. I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers important shifts in marketing technology. People who work in the world's largest media, tech, and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and sign up at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I'm joined by Brittany Jesuit. She's the former editor-in-chief of Better Marketing, uh, an international community publication. It features content by and for marketers. Now, Brittany has been working in media for marketers for more than a decade, working in an editorial capacity across novel profits, the SaaS companies, um, and academia. And so she's been supporting our marketers around the world with rich and helpful content, and she has played some very vital roles in an editorial capacity. So I can't think of anybody better to talk to about how media uh, really transforms how a marketer thinks and how they approach their work. And so today we discuss the state of marketing media, the landscape, how it's changed over the last few years, and the philosophy behind community-led marketing publications. And so now I give you Brittany Jesuit. Thanks, Juan. Happy to be here. Happy to have you too. Now, let's jump into the conversation. Uh, I'd love a brief introduction to yourself. So tell me about how you entered into this media space and what has been your journey so far and what are your interests around publishing for marketers? Sure. So like you said in your intro, Better Marketing is a medium publication about marketing and creativity and business. Um, it's part of the umbrella of the Better Publishing publications. And as the publications grew, I ended up managing a whole team of copy editors and working more on the growth and editorial direction of the publications, and then eventually transitioned into the editor-in-chief role for Better Marketing last year. Um, before that, I've done a bunch of different things, mostly bouncing back and forth between the nonprofit and for-profit world. I've done AmeriCorps service year in marketing and resource development. I worked in international education, moved to Australia and worked as the founding editor for a company called Envato, which is all about creative communities. And I also founded a side project newsletter and publication about podcasts. So I guess I've always been interested in how media and writing can be used to connect different communities together. Yeah, it's so interesting uh, when I came across the Better Marketing uh, publication in that um, it's a lot of the content is written by marketers who are actually working in the field. So uh, like you mentioned, it's a creative community, but there's a lot of learning and sharing that's happening within that community of uh, people who are working. They have insights around their role or things that they're doing in their day to day. And they're actually sharing that through writing really great content on the Better Marketing platform. And so each week, I'm sure your inbox is always full with new article requests and submissions, and you're reviewing and you're giving feedback to marketers from all over the world. Um, but I would love your view on what are some of the trends or what are marketers writing about today? What, what are people focusing on when it comes to adding publications to companies like Better Marketing? Um, so trends I've noticed, I think one thing I've noticed that people are starting to see marketing differently, like less as this deceptive thing or this necessary evil. I feel like the word marketer is sometimes a little cringy to me. I don't know if you feel that way, but it's it, it has sort of like a, a sleazy connotation. And I like all the things that make up marketing, like storytelling and psychology and 
being creative and communicating. And I think I've noticed that shift. Like people are seeing it more as an essential component of running a business or a startup or a nonprofit. It's just an, a thing that you have to do to, you know, to succeed and to communicate and to connect with the people you want to connect with. So I see a lot more about, you know, things like using empathy in marketing or marketing for good. And then a lot of DIY kind of marketing, you know, how to bootstrap your business or do graphic design with free tools or how to build your community. Those really practical tips that are great for someone who say is starting their own business or going out to freelance on their own and is trying to figure out the marketing, but doesn't have like a whole marketing team behind them. There's also a lot about the other kind of bucket of trends is a lot of writing about what the new thing is, which doesn't have to do too much with marketing sometimes at all. It'll just be, you know, a new tech platform or new communication tool and good marketers are trying to figure out like, is this relevant? Should we use this? Like last month, it was all NFTs and Clubhouse and those trends can stay around or they can fade away and they're interesting to follow. And even if you don't use them, I think. It's interesting to look at how people are using those technologies to connect and um, to use it in their business. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting to me. The the um, I, w- I would say that there's this really interesting community aspect, and I'm aware that there's also for better marketing, there's a community as well um, of people that they can share together as well. So it's not just a publication in that regard. But what I do find interesting is that trends tracking. So. To your point, you know, NFTs and Clubhouse, you know, back in March and February, you know, they, it was sort of hitting a fever pitch. It was, <laughs> you know, everyone was talking about it and trying to figure out what these things are. And these technologies and marketers were thinking, okay, well, can we use these different technologies for our business? And some jumped on board, some experimented, but as we could probably see now, particularly with Clubhouse, it's dropped off quite a bit, particularly in the Western world. And I think about that and, I, and there's this. It's interesting dynamic in which publications kind of play a role in enforcing or promoting those those new trends as they come out. And so Clubhouse wouldn't be anywhere near it as big as it was if publications didn't start writing about it and same with NFTs. And so the marketers that are in day-to-day, they're finding these trends and of course they're sharing and they're, they're writing about them as well. But then it sort of creates this feedback loop where uh, more people are sharing their experience about those different trends and then more people read about it they get involved as well but often often and you probably see this as well is that there is a bit of a a bright shiny syndrome when it comes to things like that a lot of marketers will jump onto something and it doesn't work and then they'll move on pretty quickly and those trends i would say that actually trends are shifting faster than ever so uh be interested to get your view on that and how uh trend trends sort of get um get picked up in in publications and what that actually looks like for marketers yeah, you know, when Clubhouse came out, make sure we have something on how to use it or how to get started. But, you know, the reality is that the average everyday marketer isn't going to have space or time or resources to experiment with every new trend or it might not be the right fit for them. So we try to take a more nuanced view, especially in that decision-making process and, you know, try to publish articles about whether this is right for you or someone who's experimented with it before, kind of writing up um, a case study on their early findings, for example, to kind of pave the way and give advice and share within the community. So I think we try to balance our publication as being something, you know, I think part of being in any job in any industry is knowing what's new and what's going on, like keeping your finger on the pulse to a certain extent, but 
you can never keep up with everything. So we try to we try to do both. We try to kind of have the headlines and the general things you need to know and jumping off points if you want to experiment with it and resources to do that, but also helping inform people so that they're not just, like you said, following the shiny thing and trying to capitalize on every trend instead of figuring out what works for them and what will be successful. Yeah. So there's interesting sort of validation education that happens around, uh, yeah, to your point, like uh, there's a new platform that came out or a new trend, uh, market make try it out at a sort of early stage and, and share their feedback and their learnings. And that actually helps the entire community because it gives a perspective on that particular uh, technology. So that's really interesting. And so no doubt you've been in this landscape for some time. Um, and there've been many changes over the past decade in how publishing works. Um, I've been looking at some statistics recently around how, I guess, print media has been declining and digital advertising has been increasing exponentially, mostly driven by Facebook, Google. But what, what's so fascinating to me is that over the past 10 years, the way in which media is done has significantly changed. And marketers sort of sit in the middle of that in a lot of, a lot of ways, because you've got marketers who are writing content for their own industry. You've got marketers who are writing content for their customers as well. So content marketing and uh, blogs and articles and producing videos and everything else like that. And, and then you've got publishers who are, well, I think up until this point have been majority of them have been advertising on, on paid media on actually the display advertising and then things like that. And so I would love to get your view on, on how, where do you think the past decade has changed how media is done by marketers and do you reckon it's heading in a pro positive direction? <laughs> um, do I think it's heading in a positive direction? I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting time to work. I think not just in media, but in this intersection of media and marketing, because there is so much change. I mean, in some ways, I think it's definitely getting worse, right? There's, I think, especially if you look at the journalism side and there's more newsrooms closing and it's harder and harder to figure out what's journalism and what's content marketing and these big tech companies are taking control of everything. It feels very like late stage capitalism, the rich get richer, don't trust the media. My inbox is full of, you know, requests for backlinks, inserting backlinks into articles or people trying to promote themselves. Like it's, it's some murky territory, but I think there's some really good things happening too. Like there's, I think marketing and media has gotten a lot more targeted and specific over the last decade, which can be creepy or annoying when it's, you know, an ad chasing you around the internet. But it's also really neat that there's pretty much a community or a blog or a newsletter about any topic that you're interested in. Um, I subscribe to a lot of super specific newsletters and it's just so interesting to me that they exist, like that I can subscribe to a newsletter about salad or writing alt text or, you know, like really specific things and that there's an audience there and that all of those people can find that audience and connect. So I think, you know, it's, it moves really fast too. There's so much noise or so many trends that are relevant and then not, and it's kind of exhausting. And I think sometimes people are tired of being, you know, bombarded with all these marketing messages. But on the other hand, when you get something that is really personalized or good or resonates with you, then it can be 
refreshing or surprising. So I think maybe it's heading in a, a neutral direction. Like there's, there's some good and some bad, but I, I try to stay optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. You have to send me the link for the, for that salad newsletter. <laughs> it sounds very interesting, <laughs> but it's, um, it's, called, it's called the department of salad. It's so good. Um, really? Yeah. It's, it's so yeah. It's, it's by a journalist who I think she's a food writer at a, at a magazine somewhere and, you know, went the independent Substack route as journalists do these days, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's great. There's this real, we'll get to this in a little bit, but we'll, there's this real unbundling of media at the moment. So, you know, like traditional media companies, yeah, their news rooms are emptying, emptying out, their journalists and editors citing things like Substack or their own individual publication, trying to go direct to their audience as well. And it is a, I would say it is a very chaotic, very complicated environment to work in. You really need to know the rules of the game to um, be able to operate in media or particularly around marketing, because yeah, to your point, there are so many publications now. There's like literally thousands of different sub stacks out there. Um, there's new blogs being started all the while, and there's even more blogs being started um, every day. So. There's more people online because of the low barrier to friction. Anyone can write anything and publish something pretty easily these days. But also there are a lot, there are a lot of things that aren't so great about it. Like, yeah, requests for backlinks or constant PR pitches for, for the latest product. And there's all this stuff that people are trying to do to promote themselves by going down the media route, which is, which is super interesting to me. But what one topic that I do find quite novel, particularly over the past five years, is I suppose the role of technology companies that, you know, service marketing and, and how they've started going down the route of education and building their own publications as well. And so I think like the obvious examples are things like Google's Digital Garage or their analytics and their advertising courses. Facebook has what's called Blueprint, which is its own course to train marketers up at advertising in that space. Um, Salesforce Trailsblazer is a massive one around CRM and more sort of general marketing as well, um, using that platform. And so because marketers are more reliant these days on those technology tools, those companies, the technology companies are, are playing a pretty serious role on how the next generation of marketers are being trained up and educated. But it's not only that, it's also the publications that are producing content every single day and marketers consuming that content and they're learning as they go as well. And, you know, there is a bit of a joke and there's a bit of an argument around this topic that, you know, do you need to go to university to become a marketer or can you just watch a bunch of YouTube videos and take a few short courses instead? And so it's not just the media landscape that's complicated. It's the way in which marketers are trained and how they learn about their industry and their practice. And so how do you think that's changed over time? And and why do you think markets are going to now to be upskilled and to learn more about the industry? You know, what, what are some of those things that you've noticed with your work as an editor? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think it's uh, super interesting. It's something I think about all the time. I think I mentioned I used to work in higher ed at a private liberal arts institution, and I'm currently finishing up my master's degree. So I do still tend to think there's some value in a more traditional college education, uh, but I also recognize that that's a huge privilege that I was very lucky to have and that, you know, one of my majors in undergrad was marketing and for sure a lot of what I learned felt immediately outdated when I graduated. I think publishing and 
tech companies and, you know, these these more direct ways of learning is just going to grow and be more, you know, innovative. I think there's a lot of opportunity in these shorter postgraduate certificates or programs or YouTube channels, especially things that are really specific skills to learn, like graphic design or writing. I like that people are learning more and putting more value in real experience and not on whether you paid to sit in a classroom for four years and memorize some ideas. I think I'm glad to see like the more traditional framework of education being challenged. I think the traditional ideas of marketing feel like they're often weaponized to make the industry less accessible. I don't think that's specific to the marketing industry. Like the, you see it in, for example, in the nonprofit field. So I'm working on my master's in nonprofit studies and there's people that put a lot of emphasis on things like logic models and grant writing because that's the way that things are done when it's taught in grad school. But these specific frameworks are kind of elitist and gatekeepery. And, you know, I've never been in a marketing meeting where people are like, let's think about the four P's or yeah. <laughs> um, let, let, let's use this. I, I think it, it's in a lot of ways, it's just a way to to keep people out and kind of I appreciate that it seems like people are realizing that there's other ways to learn and that you can learn so much, especially from just from good marketing. And I think there's so much value in just watching what other people are doing and what people are doing now and finding what we like and that that's more relevant. You know, you're better off understanding, say, how the TikTok algorithm works than to do, you know, another case study on Apple in your master's program or something like that. So I, I think it's really interesting to be at that cross-section of education and publishing and, and media and entertainment and kind of trying to wrap it all into one thing. Yeah, it's such an interesting balance. And I, I totally get what you're saying about things like the four P's and this idea of gatekeeping knowledge, you know, and there's, there's a interesting argument because yeah, why would you spend hundred thousands of dollars at a university to get your bachelor's degree in marketing when you know, at least three, four years later, that a lot of what you learn around the particular trends that taught at that time will be different. And marketers, it's not, I'd say that the most critical skill for a marketer to learn is actually how to learn, uh, in the first place or how to quickly learn and, and understand new technologies and new methodologies as they come up. I think that's a critical skill. Like even in my own personal career, I came from a um, humanities background. So I didn't actually come from a marketing or technology education. But what I learned how to do is actually how to understand technology really quickly and how to understand these trends and be able to communicate and being able to ask the right questions. And those are the things that are a bit more timeless, I think, at university, particularly for younger people that they need to learn, like how to ask the right questions you know, how to interrogate or research something, you know, those are the sort of core skills. And there is a good argument to say, well, look, you learn a lot of that in the first maybe year or two. You perhaps don't even need to go the full four years of a um, typical college degree. But yeah, there's this idea of gatekeeping and a lot of that content is freely, freely available. Uh, better marketing, you know, the content is freely available. Anyone can read it and pick it up. And it just takes a discipline to learn those things. And so when it comes to, I guess, the, this other side of things, which is the, the sort of the tech company's role in this, it's, it's fascinating to me in that there is a sort of gatekeeping aspect to that as well. So some brands I work with, and I, I typically work with more sort of enterprise, larger brands, they would have a, a software vendor in their business and they would have 150 people trained up on that particular software. 
and they would earn badges and rewards and they'd spend years of their career becoming certified in that particular platform. And to me, I look at that and I say, well, that's great. People understanding how to use the technology for their marketing, but it does sort of constrain them to understanding that particular software, not necessarily understanding the landscape of those different technologies as well. And so I find that, yeah, there's interesting, like there's still a lot of gatekeeping happening. It really, in marketing, it depends on who you're learning from, you know, are you learning from Mark Ritson? Are you learning from Byron Sharp? Are you learning from, you know, even Rand Fishkin or something else, you know, like, so it depends on who you're learning from and the kind of technology uh, that you want to pursue as well. And that's becoming more fractured. And so I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about content marketing. And recently, I think you provided a really great article on this topic, uh, which was quite helpful to me. It was a framework to judge whether or not something is content marketing. And these days, almost every second sort of post in my social media feeds is an invite to a webinar or it's an <laughs> article talking about a particular feature of a product. And I feel like there's this, there's this real disconnect between, you know, how people understand genuine articles and editorial work and then content marketing. It's very confused between what those two things are. And I thought that your framework was actually quite helpful in distinguishing those two, two, two things. And so I'd love to hear like what, how do you see the role of content marketing in the overall experience and what was this approach from better marketing around distinguishing what that particular thing is? Um, yeah, gosh, if I, I, I feel like this is something that they could teach a whole class on in marketing programs, just how to spot content marketing and what to look out <laughs> for. Yep. Um, I just hate it. And my content marketing radar is super sensitive because I, I did, I worked in the publication I ran in Australia was a content marketing blog, but it was obvious because it was the company website and it was transparent and better marketing isn't content marketing uh, and have really strict guidelines about being transparent and not having hidden agendas on the articles. We get, you know, stuff all the time with people trying to promote their own company or their work or uh, something that feels like it's written for the purpose of directing the reader elsewhere or making a sales pitch to the reader rather than providing value or teaching something or highlighting their experience. Um, and I think, it, you know, it does our readers and you know, the whole industry a disservice when there's so much content marketing out there. And if we accept it into our publication or if we have blurry lines around what we accept, you know, we lose our reader's trust. Um, and that's not something we want. But we do really value real experience. So for us, it's all about the purpose of the article and the tone, you know. So if you're, I don't know, the VP of marketing at Airbnb and you pitch an article, that's great because we want that expertise and that knowledge, but there's a huge difference between an article about lessons from a big marketing campaign from Airbnb, which I know because I led this campaign and I'm the marketing director mm. versus something that kind of ends with lessons from this Airbnb campaign. Please book Airbnb. Airbnb is great. Check out our website. You know, like the real purpose for the article has to be to educate the reader or share something like it's got to be focused on the writing. Yeah. It's so interesting. Hey, because like typically with people that are perhaps just starting out, they'll read, like, I remember I was reading a lot of content marketing when I was starting out and did not realizing what it was that actually the incentive behind that content is not to, um, to, it's not the actual content itself. It's actually trying to sell something. 
And that's something I think about a lot in that, in our media environment, most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, the incentives behind the actual content that's produced are misaligned with the audience that that content is serving. And so what I find quite interesting about better marketing is that your audience is your customer. The end person that you're trying to please is the person who's reading it on the other end of the screen. Whereas, you know, if you look at a lot of webinars and a lot of sort of content marketing that's out there, it, the purpose of it is to generate leads really at the end of the day, it's to generate interest, attract awareness, you know, around that particular, that product or that service, which is fine. And companies can do that and that's totally great. But the incentive there is not the content itself because there's an asset, there's KPIs attached to that content. You know, a lot of the time, if you're working in that type of role, they're asking, okay, how many signups for that ebook or for that white paper? How many, you know, email signups did we get? And how many did we convert into a sales conversation? And then, you know, onwards they go until someone buys something. <laughs> and, but then that's one side. The other side is this, the, you know, the idea of advertising or monetizing your content through advertising. And I'm finding a lot of newsletters, cause I write a newsletter, of course, a lot of newsletters going down that route of advertising or putting sort of paid placements within their articles and editorial work. And again, same sort of deal. The customer is not the audience. The customer is actually the advertiser. And so it actually changes how you go about your content. And I find that typically with a lot of um, industry publications around the place, and I think it's a pretty common theme is that, you know, you would find a lot of content in those publications that are really there to drive engagement you know, to drive more eyeballs. So, you know, so they can monetize more through advertising, you know? So one good example of that is somebody gets fired and they're, you know, from a very senior position, let's say they're a director at an agency or, you know, they're an SVP or something like that, you know, or they move or they change jobs and talking to people in the industry, it's really interesting that that type of, I would kind of say it's like gossip type content doesn't actually tell you much about the industry, just tells you about something that happened in a particular company, but it's actually the most engaging. It drives the most traffic for those publications. And so that's a really small example of, you know, misaligned incentives. You know, your audience is not your customer. Your customer is the advertisers at the end of the day. And so I find that. And then I also look at, you know, things like algorithms, right? The same deal, like, you know, you're scrolling through Twitter or through LinkedIn and the algorithm, its purpose is actually to maximize your time on site, to maximize your engagement because of that same incentive through paid the monetization of content through advertising. And so you have this sort of like this sort of whirlwind of all these different incentives that are actually mostly misaligned with the audience. And what I really love around the, you know, paid media uh, that's directly supported from uh, audience, things like uh, Ben Thompson's Stratechery, and there's a number of different publications out there is that uh, there's this really interesting shift between having your customer as the advertiser versus your customer as the actual audience and asking them to pay or a little bit of money to support your publication. And that means that, you know, the content becomes your product. Like it's the core thing in which you're trying to deliver a value. And so, so I, thought, I just found that quite interesting and, and I would like your view or do you have any commentary on that, on that perspective? How do you view navigated that with better marketing and, and other roles as an editor? Um, yeah, I I think it's interesting that there's just so many different options you can, there's so many routes you can go if you run a publication or newsletter and you don't want to work for free. You want to be able to make a living or at least a, a little bit of money off of all the hard work you're doing. I think there, there are 
definitely a lot of publications that are doing that really well. I mean, we're lucky because we have tied to Medium and the Medium Partner Program, you know, works with the membership model and that's a unique way of, of doing it. I'm thinking of the publication that I used to co-edit about podcasts, which is still running, but I'm not involved with it anymore, but it's called The Bellow Collective. It's great. And they take a totally different approach. They do a Patreon for subscribers that want to support them and they do some sponsored ads every once in a while in their newsletter, but they really keep the content objective. But like you were saying, at the same time, there's this huge unbundling of media. And, you know, I, I support a couple newsletters on Patreon and a few Substacks, but I, I don't have a hundred dollar budget for subscribing to Substacks, you know, like I, I don't even pay for Netflix. I'm not gonna, I, I, I can't put that in my, in my budget. So I'm curious what's gonna happen next. Like if it'll circle back at some point and writers will join together instead of being $5 a month for one newsletter, you get you know, I, I know there's a few models, I think, already doing this, like $5 for all of them. And then that the medium is, I think, $5 a month for us. And that, that's basically what medium is. You know, I'm, I'm curious if we'll see this sort of like reinvention of publications or kind of circular, you know, have everyone split up and then realize that's not a sustainable model and then come back together. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, this concept of unbundling of media and it, you know, typically on the internet, things are bundled and then they're unbundled, you know? So the, so like media companies, uh, publications are bundled, right? So it's just a collective of people who are working in that space. They're all adding their editorial work into that particular publication. It goes under that umbrella. So it's a bundle of services, really a bundle of different talent, but then it's unbundled people going to Substack and different publications. And then it'll probably bundle again to your point. Like they'll probably, there'll be new relationships formed through that unbundling and there'll be new media companies that have started. And then we'll go right back to where we started, which is, which is pretty normal. I think in, in um, the world of the internet, this unbundling and yeah. bundling. But what one aspect that does interest me is this idea that of the, uh, the multi-skewed creator, which is this idea that uh, it's kind of like taking a cue from the entertainment industry, really, where let's say you are, you write a blog, you know, you, you, out articles every week. So that's one SKU, so a stock keeping unit using sort of e-commerce terminology. So you got one stock keeping unit, which is your publication, but then you also sell merch. So that's another SKU. And then you also do events and you actually, most of maybe 80% of your revenue comes from doing live events. So that's another SKU. And perhaps you have a podcast as well. And that podcast is, you know, some of it's gated. So you also provide that as a service. And then you have a community as well alongside that. And that community is gated and it's people that are vetted and, you know, add values to each other, or whatever to topic they're talking about. But that's also a vetted, sort of a paid opportunity as well. And so there's this sort of interesting that, yeah, like a, a Substack by itself, or there's a newsletter, like how many of those can you subscribe to? Well, maybe one or two, you know, that's two, three hundred, four hundred dollars a, uh, a year. That's a lot of money, right? Personally. And unless your, your company's paying for it, you know, that's, that's quite a bit. And so the newsletter is just, or the blog is just one skew in a whole bunch of other monetization opportunities. And I'm, and I'm seeing that, what was it, Jay-Z? I'm, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman, you know, like, <laughs> like that idea of an individual being able to scale and create these massive audiences and then be able to monetize them through a whole bunch of different ways. 
is actually really interesting to me because the technology is here now where you can do that without having a team of developers, for example, you know, or a team of designers, even, you know, like the, all the tools and the technology is so accessible that it enables somebody like a lot of people I follow individual person, they have a couple of contractors and involved and they're making more than a million dollars a year just through their newsletter and, and a few other offerings as well. And Jack Butcher is actually a really good example of that. He made a million dollars by himself by selling courses and doing really good video content as well. And so the multi-skew creator, I think that's quite an interesting trend as well, sort of emerging into how people are doing content online. And so I guess, um, I want to talk a little bit about journalism and marketing. Now these sort of hats can be interchanged. Uh, I can see a lot of journalists becoming marketers for a whole bunch of reasons. And marketers playing in this journalistic world, they're writing articles, they're doing research, they're finding sources, you know, there's editorial processes, even in content marketing teams. And so I love your view because you've been working in marketing and journalism across a whole bunch of different industries. How do you think a, a career in marketing, a, a career in writing actually helps the work of marketing? I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I, I think they're super different in a lot of ways and I don't have any misconceptions about that what I'm doing is journalism. I have a lot of friends who are journalists and I know there's there's some big fundamental differences there, but there's also a lot of similarities. And yeah, I think both fields could really learn from each other. And if you're in one field and jump to the other, I think you have advantages. Uh, journalists are great storytellers and they focus on finding the facts and the most compelling message. And that's really useful for marketing and marketers are experts at getting attention and finding the right audiences, which is obviously important for journalists because they want their work to find the right people. I think a lot of the basic concepts of marketing and journalism, things like storylines and story arcs or clear communication, yeah. shared similarities. And the reality is if you, you know, for better or worse, if you're a journalist, especially if you're not, if you're freelancer independent, if, if you're not supported by a publication or a, a company that's going to do the marketing for you, you, you kind of have to know the marketing side of the skill of the skill set. You, you have to be able to know how to share your work or you know, at least um, be okay at Twitter. And if you're a marketer, you need to be able to write well and to be able to communicate to people. So I, I think there's, yeah, a lot of overlap. Um, I definitely have considered becoming a journalist several times and then deciding I like this, this in-between space that's a little more complicated, better, but I, I think it's, I think it's great. And I wish that there was more support around journalism, but I also think that this, this overlap is really interesting. Yeah. It's it, because it, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Hey, because the journalist's role, if you boil it down is really to provide value to their audience. And it depends on which area, if they're an opinion writer or they're in a newsroom um, or they're doing industry publications, you know, there's, there's this interesting aspect to becoming a really great writer. And I found this personally myself is that improving your writing skills improves everything else in marketing and improves how you think about strategy and improves the articulation of which as well. It improves how, how you're going to frame certain things as well when you're writing. And personally, so I started the Martech Weekly Newsletter almost about a year ago. I think the first sort of social media post about it came out in end of June. 
And it's now sort of, this recording is sort of mid-July. And so, but since then, writing and committing myself to writing and researching every week has uh, really, really improved how I think. It's about how you think as a marketer more than anything else. The decisions you make, the strategy, strategy you employ, your approach to creative and design and all of those things actually comes down to how you think. And yeah, I'd find that, yeah, what I really do love about better marketing is that it's actually encouraging marketers to hone what I would say one of the most critical skills in their entire career. And that is how to write and how to communicate effectively. I've met plenty of marketers and I do get a lot of pictures from marketers as well in my inbox that, that the communication is almost lacking, like this ability to communicate value or something of interest to get my attention. And so, yeah, it's really interesting viewpoints, uh, uh, Brittany on that particular topic. And so, so thank you for that. And so I do have a bonus question for you. And this question is about the future of journalism. And so we've touched on a few things already, like the bundling and unbundling of media, but I'd like to get your view. You're working in editorial capacity. Of course, like everybody else, you're thinking about the future of your role and the future of where this industry is going. But I would love to hear from you. What are you planning for? Or what do you think, what things are you anticipating in the next 10 years around this space of media for marketers? Ooh. The next 10 years, that's a, that's a big scope. I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty hard to predict. And I always feel a bit odd answering questions like these. Maybe it's, mm. you know, imposter syndrome or trying to be humble. But I just want to preface it by saying that I have no idea uh, what the future of media or journalism is. Um, mm. I do. I think I definitely have seen some trends. I think we'll see more curation that's human-centered and personality-focused. I've noticed that as, you know, a selling point that more platforms are using being anti-algorithm. Even mm. the better newsletter editor writes it, Terry does, she, I think she writes something like, a real, real person, no algorithms, here are picks of the week. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think we'll see more of that. I think people are tired of being like, fed things and then that combined with you know more journalists and writers going independent and breaking away from brands or big entities or publications i think people will lean into following those personalities and trying to yeah not be so controlled by what the algorithm wants and not being so controlled by companies or who they work for you know i i think there's something substack wrote about how people trust maybe a specific journalist at a media organization, but might distrust the organization as a whole. I'm not sure what I think about that. I think it seems like a lot of work for the average person who's reading news to seek out specific journalists. I didn't know if everyone could see like their five favorite local journalists. That seems like a lot of work. So I think hopefully there's still an important role that publications and organizations can play to tile that together. But I do think there will be more focus on personalities and also just more diversity, which is nice. Like that's something that I work really hard on in our publication is that all of our top writers, you know, were white guys when I started in the role and I've tried to be really intentional about, you know, like marketing like most industries, is really white male dominated. And I think that, that, you know, for a number of reasons, but also just there's a breaking point where people are just tired of it. Uh, like I don't publish anything that's, a you know, if it's a list of 20 
marketers you should follow or, you know, 10 books you should read and it's by, if, if there's no women on that list or no people of color, like I'm not going to publish it. I think people are pushing for different voices and to not hear from the same people over and over again. And I think hopefully that will inform the future of journalism to kind of elevate different voices in different communities that um, have traditionally not dominated the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, um, with you that on that, on that point is that marketers benefit so well from diverse perspectives because the job of a marketer, a lot of it is actually understanding a customer and who your customers are. And a lot of the time they're more diverse. Your customer group is more diverse. They're more unique, you know, so more var multivariate than you probably even imagine. And having diverse viewpoints in this space really helps. I think that overall picture of understanding more sort of demo demography of your customers and your audiences and everything else, which is fantastic. Um, and so Brittany, thank you very much for jumping on to the Making Sense of MarTech podcast. Um, we've had a blast. We've had a really great conversation around the state of media for marketers. And so I'd like to throw to you, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, I'm not much of a social media person, but um, I'm on Twitter. I think it's my name, which is just at Brittany Jesuit. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me. All right. Thank you so much. Um, I had a lot of fun.